0: Welcome back to the Paradigm Project. Today we're going to be discussing the physical world and the various ways in which we interact with it and the values of such interaction. Ollie, would you care to introduce our guest for today?
1: Yes, uh, we are joined today by Mike Robinson, who is a shop teacher, professor emeritus, if you will. And we.
2: <laughs> I appreciate the upgrade. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> what else were we supposed to introduce at the beginning? Oh, yeah, Winter's here.
3: Yeah, hi. All right, we're good.
1: Let's get into it here.
0: What is your background? What has led you to pursuing a career in teaching shop?
2: appreciate that. I was a non-traditional student in the fact that I didn't do very well in most of my classes up until my senior year of high school, where I feel like I kind of had a revelation in the way that, that I learned or the way that I viewed physical things. I find out later in life that I've always had a fair amount of ADD and And had trouble focusing on traditional classes. I also had trouble with motivation in seeing the value of traditional classes. So about my senior year, I got involved in a mechanics class that was taught at my high school. And it kind of became the central focus of my schooling career. I did well enough in the class that we participated in a couple of skills competitions, and up until that point, I did not have any plans to go to post-secondary education. I didn't plan to go to college at all. So I was able to get a scholarship for the first year uh, for my tuition, and I literally didn't have anything better to do. So I started college and found I kind of had a knack for this type of thing, specifically uh, the automotive and how things work like that. The program also helped you to do a placement almost like an apprenticeship with a local dealership and I worked at a car dealer at the same time that I was in school pursued a associate's degree in automotive service which is the repair and understanding of the machines and then decided to stay in school and ended up with a bachelor's degree in automotive technology automotive technology expands a little bit to include things like sales, and uh, I have a uh, minor in sales and service, so we started to understand quite a bit about people's needs, how they interact with automobiles, and how it was such a a big part of uh, business. And then I worked after school. I went and worked as a technical support person for a manufacturer. Uh, In this case, I went back to Detroit and was supporting dealerships that would call in with unusual problems or unusual situations and did that for several years Uh, came back and got a job in a manufacturing plant locally where we were able to operate cnc machines and use lathe mill welding grinding to actually make things for customers and then for the last 15 years i have been an educator Obviously, kind of an unusual path to get in into education, but I've been an educator now for 17 years, the last 17 years teaching um, automotive technology and a little bit of welding, I'm trying to fill in some of the gaps for young people about, about how the world is put together.
0: How would you say that your experience with these mechanical parts of existence has influenced how you interact with life?
2: It definitely, it's definitely changed my view when I realized that we live in a strangely ordered universe that is remarkably ordered when you observe for this order. You don't want to get into, into the weeds with religion, but each time I, I look at other disciplines, I see this tremendous order. The world is a collection of systems. The systems are very interrelated, but I think a person that uh, spent some time being a mechanic can think very similar to a doctor or even to a physicist as you try to take apart problems that are not that different from each other. There's obviously a lot more math that's involved with some of the disciplines, but you're still looking to try and understand a complete system. And the more I have become educated, the more I have worked with other people, I find that most things really are related. There's a lot of chemistry and there's a lot of physics and there's a lot of math involved in a car. And there's a lot of the systems and problems that are solved in a car that also apply to everything else we interact with. I'm very dependent on uh, on my house to provide me shelter, especially we just had a big storm and I'm dependent on a machine that helps me get transport and we have a plethora of machines that help us with uh, medicine and diagnostics and, and all of these things are, they're products of human endeavor. We we learn a little and we keep finding new and interesting applications for the things that we learn. and. Even computers are not that far from, from all being interrelated. Learning about the world helps me to have a better understanding and realize that most things are understandable. And that's what I'd really like to pass on to young people is that, that things are understandable, and someone that does some learning for a discipline is not wasting their time. Uh, most of what you learn, crosses over, and it self-scaffolds for other disciplines. I think someone that uh, spent time framing houses could probably do a pretty good job solving electrical problems. Yeah, I do.
1: So you you mentioned that you know, you've been trying to pass on this idea of understanding and, and seeking understanding and learning that things can be understood to young people, and I was wondering how has actually being in the education field, especially coming from a career where you were like working with these machines and, and repairing them, how has being in the education field and trying to actually teach that to young people, what new difficulties has that presented and I guess just how's it going?
2: That's a great question. It, for me, has been tremendously frustrating. Not everyone, they they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. As a young person, it is difficult to have interest in everything, especially in our modern world. I think of all the things in our world that is in short supply and we are constantly competing for, we compete for attention. More than anything else. So my text message just went off in my pocket. It's competing for attention. And the the realia on the wall, things that are written compete for my attention. And I have ads and concerns. And because we have so many things coming at us in our modern life, especially young people, it is very, very difficult for them to apportion a bit of their attention towards a subject that they currently don't show any value for. And I understand that. Someone uh, dismisses wholesale. They just say, I'm not going to be a professional mechanic. I I couldn't agree more. But that wasn't my expectation. And, and And I'm fortunate for that. We are not expected in my program to produce a class full of mechanics. Uh, a math teacher is not expected to produce a class of mathematicians. A music teacher is not expected to produce a class of musicians. But most of the older people, are people that have children and, and have had the opportunity to raise a child, recognize there's value even if you didn't decide to go that direction for a vocation. And that to me is what makes it hard. We have lots of things competing for our attention. And I am just one of those things. And if a kid doesn't have buy in, if they don't believe what we may be giving them has value or can be crossed into other things that have value, then usually I'm, I'm pushing a rock uphill.
0: The thought strikes me that a lot of fields, such as mechanics, they deal with physical things, but there's a subliminal layer of, to bring in like some philosophy, it's often referred to as underlying form. Something like that. And it's all of these ideas. Ideas, for instance, to to make a car, ideas have been a part of every single component of that vehicle. And what you're saying is so interesting to me.
2: You're completely right. Every single piece has been touched, and every piece has been thought about, quantified, um, weighed, measured. People that build things, they need to make a conscious decision. Every time a piece of material goes into a machine, it has cost. It has cost to make. It has cost for the materials. It has cost with weight and inertia. This is why putting something in an automobile or taking something out is a very conscious choice on many levels economic, uh, production, repairability, things that, that people may or may not notice. So I see what you mean. The philosophy at least in our Western culture, is that we can cater to different philosophies. I, I look at uh I got an opportunity to get a ride in a uh, Lamborghini and it is it's just a ridiculous machine. It's ridiculous. I I've had an opportunity to drive a a dump truck and it's a ridiculous machine in a very different way. And and the The automobile, especially tugs at a lot of very internal emotional things about we we use them as suits of armor to express ourselves they provide us uh feelings of of uh, masculinity uh, femininity freedom uh sometimes even daring and nonconformity depending on I mean, there's a huge range of of how people have their automobile represent them. Philosophically, is that what you meant?
0: Yeah, in in a large sense, I think it's super fascinating that ideas such as like like you said, masculinity, femininity, can be associated with something built out of essentially like wrought iron, which is so incredible. And it also strikes me that, like you were saying, it's hard to. See beneath the initial appearance of just these parts that build a machine, but the value that can be found
1: in it
2: goes beyond that a machine has it has two roles it has the original what it is role that everyone can see it's it's four tires it's a chunk of steel it's uh it's a way to do work or to amplify, but it also has all these other roles of it's a way to make you feel something. It's a way to express something. And a lot of that, um, it doesn't apply to me, but I know some people that are very fussy about their clothing and their hairstyle and uh, the type of glasses or the, the type of brand, and, and they're they're packaging all these things up. And, and they may be wearing something that doesn't fit form as well as some things could but it definitely fits fashion and it definitely caters to emotion and it provides comfort and we do that we do that with our homes. We build homes a lot of different ways. Uh, most of the cost associated with a luxury home is not to make the home stronger or more efficient or even to increase its capacity. Most of those things are are not not sure the word I'm looking for they're not the part of the house that does something they're the part of the house that stirs something in people and in how they present themselves to others once I have all the rain off me and there's no wind blowing off me uh, everything else is is an emotional decision you know to build a house or or to to drive a car you, you can't make most luxury products make sense on just the basis of what they are, but we still sell a ton of them.
1: I
3: think it's interesting the way that you demonstrate that humans really do pour emotion into everything they do, like the things that they make, what they own, how they present themselves to other people, even just through like their hair or the clothes that they wear. Um, coming from the perspective, as you're a shop teacher and as you're working with this new generation, What specific differences have you seen as time goes by in how people use these physical items to present themselves to the world?
2: The way that we used to present, um, let's see, that's a good question. The way that people present themselves to the world with their physical items, I think that, at least in the West, as an American, the automobile is falling in importance that's not falling in importance, I want to change that It's just as important, but once upon a time you could have a hunk of junk that that expressed yourself. It could be uh we used to call them rat rods where it was something that was kids would super glue on a funny hood ornament or they would spray paint on their own vehicle or you would have a saying or the bumper sticker, even ways of making your car uh your own the fuzzy dice the the customizing, and some of it was expensive and some of it isn't. Some of it comes down to a person just purchasing the right type of air filter or or the air, um, the air, air freshener. You you put something in your car and you pick your seat cover and you, I saw the other day, uh, on, on a website that was changing the color of your interior lights on your car slightly. And, and they were selling like hotcakes because people just wanted something to be a little bit different. Now, I will see people that have uh, a lot of means oftentimes don't want to customize or don't want to change anything. Purchase something that is already a complete package, like I want to buy a finished piece of art, hang it on the wall, say that I own it, but they're not interested in modifying it or or changing it. The only thing you want to do with your new Tesla plaid is wash it. You're not going to change the wheels. You're definitely not going to put a bunch of plastic accoutrements on it or, or, or do something like that. So I think that has kind of changed in how we project that. And, and, and I kind of miss it. I like uh, when someone, even if it's a pile of junk, when someone takes an item and they, they make it express themselves. And you're right. I see it in in clothing and what I'm concerned about is that we're moving away from people believing that they can make a difference with the items that they own. So you've got to use it just the way you bought it. You can't paint it the way you like. You can't change the clothes the way you like. You can't cut your shirt or your pants a different way. You can't re relace your shoes. Like, oh, no. No. Some designers over there somewhere else decided this was the right way to wear this scarf. And if you're doing something different, uh, it's, it's almost frowned on. It's like you've wrecked their, the thing that they were selling you. That to me has changed. I believe it was more okay to do your own thing with physical items before. When I was a young person, all my friends had posters and pictures you'd cut things out of magazines and you'd you'd paper your own room and i've gone now and it's like it has to look a certain way it's very neat and clean and not not cluttered it doesn't it doesn't have the collage feel that expresses to me what what i think people want to express with their stuff and that goes back into antiquity you see people you know that you dig up some weapon that's 4,000 years old and someone has has notched it or they've painted on the inside of their cave or people want to customize the things that, that they interact with.
3: Do you think that as the virtual world has progressed, there's become more of a disconnect with the physical world?
2: I do. The disconnect. And it's it's very concerning to me. To me, it's concerning. Once upon a time, a person believed that they were in the prime position to change, modify, and and be the master of all the subordinate of their stuff. When I was a kid, me and the family we read uh, the Little House on the Prairie books, and one of my heroes was pa Ingalls? now i know i obviously i never met the guy and and i only have the the hero's version from his daughter but if half of what she wrote down is true this guy is a complete bad day the idea that i'm gonna get in a wagon with my possessions i'm just gonna start heading in a direction and whatever things i need i will fabricate and make when i need them Whatever environment I'm going to find myself thrust into, I will mold it into the way that is relevant for me. I think that's super, super amazing. And that's what I'm missing. Uh, the, The idea that the virtual world versus the real world. Humans are built of the same material and they always have been. But each generation says in their old person voice, yeah, things have changed. I don't know. But we're still the same creature. So why have we stopped believing that everything can be made into our whims? Wood shop and home ec and sewing, I understand that those don't make economic sense in a world of mass production and uh, machines helping us to produce goods that are very inexpensive. But that's not why we should do it. A person should sew or cook, not necessarily because it's the most expedient way to get from here to there with your, to get a meal or to get clothing. That may not be the fastest way to go. But because it's not the fastest way to go or the cheapest way to go, we have backed up and abandoned it. Uh, I know a lot of people that don't cook at all, or they would never consider making a repair to their clothing at all. They will not do a home repair. Multiple times people have brought me automobiles and I have pulled out the owner's manual and it is in pristine condition wrapped in plastic in the glove box. It's never been touched. It's never been read. The people had no intention of taking an active role in the relationship with their stuff and that's very concerning. We are changing values of what we feel is important. and. we find out that there's someone who literally can't sharpen a pencil that makes half a million dollars a year as a, an engineer at a software company, and that's wild to me that we aren't asked to to have this complete picture anymore. Now you mention um,
1: the customization and the interaction with your own physical things that are yours that are like, that you can you know touch, but what about like digital customization? in VR you can customize maybe every aspect of your avatar
2: yeah completely i see where you're going with that you can you can definitely have your digital world that you can mess with that's a little bit foreign to me but i see where you're going do you have a digital avatar like do you do you customize things in your virtual world to some extent the other day i was i was on i was on
1: voice call with my friends we were playing counter strike And we all thought it would be really funny to put, like, actual physical real world money into Counter-Strike cosmetic skins. So we all bought, like, a bunch of those just
2: because we we thought it would be really entertaining. I understand where you're going. I was very surprised when somebody—now, I'm not a computer guy, and I don't have a lot of experience with that. But when I found out people were paying real money for farmers to grow them in-game money— To purchase uh, weapons, accessories, and things for their virtual character. That was very surprising to me, but yet understandable.
0: The customization, like you were saying, is interesting. The fact that people no longer maintain their own belongings. They simply go out and buy new things that have been pre-prepared.
2: The disposable world is... I'm not sure it's... It's not 100% of a bad thing, but... The environmentalists would say we're using more material than we need to and to a certain extent I <laughs> we have a machine that can make machines we can the planet has a lot of stuff available and the only thing that's valuable in the world is human labor from an economics point of view in my opinion uh, raw materials have no value and people will say, "Oh, yes, they do. Diamonds are valuable. No, diamonds are free. Go dig them up. Oil's valuable. No, oil's free. Go get it." What makes it valuable is that it's such a pain and a hassle. A lot of human energy has to go into reclaiming them. So when we when we talk about our stuff, you were saying, if you'd make your comment again,
0: it seems to me that people are forgetting to how to sustain themselves because yes. they do not have this opportunity or this
2: desire to maintain
0: their belongings and to upkeep. And are. I
2: would agree with you. I would agree with you. It's it's people saying, hey, cost is the only issue with whether or not I should replace something. If I have the money, I should replace it if I have the cost. And uh, occasionally I get to visit things like a salvage yard. And I bet you I could probably return 60% of those vehicles to service and a lot of them you could do it economically every once in a while you'll see some car that's been involved in such a ridiculous crash that it's completely twisted and mangled but most of the time i think those vehicles were replaced because they they kind of fell out of fashion they were no longer they were still serviceable but they weren't desirable some of that product obsolescence is unavoidable. You know, I have a perfectly functioning 486 IBM computer that no one has any value in. <laughs> Nobody thinks it's worth anything and I agree it's not just because the entire world has moved on. And there's a lot of new things about the constant technology that would make you, you know, oh I have a perfectly functional iPhone 3. No one cares. That's That has no value anymore. So Some things really do become obsolete because of the new, but clothing and homes don't seem to be among those, and yet you're right. People don't, they don't do a good job of maintaining them. They don't, and and I don't know if it's because they don't know that they can or just that relationship is not there. It almost seems like the world is moving
0: so fast that we forget that every one
1: of the conveniences that we have
0: was first built because someone decided they liked the way something worked. They had an idea, and rather than just merely accepting someone else's previously fabricated idea, they decided they wanted to do things differently, and they made something that was better for their own purposes. Would you say that now that we are moving so quickly, we're forgetting how to the need to innovate in this way?
2: There's a lot of pressure to innovate, but I think most of that is pressure for profit. That we innovate in order to have a product that we can sell or a service that we can market. And and admittedly, that's the kind of thing I sit around fantasizing about. Everyone wants to make the next great widget or the next great software application or, or something that will be ubiquitously loved. Everyone just going to fall at the feet. And... You'll hear people, oh, if I could have invented Facebook, or I could have. So everyone wants that type of innovation, but there are a lot of fields that I don't, I don't see people driving for improvements, and it's it's almost too bad. There are a ton of things that in our world that I think are barely functional that I was really assuming someone would have come along and fixed, and yet no one has. There are a lot of things that we just. It was good enough, it's working good enough, and there's no profit motive, so everybody leaves it alone. And it remains the same for generations. There's no big changes.
0: There are plenty of like essential services, mechanics, or plumbers, and electricians. Without them, we'd be absolutely lost. But simply because, especially in the prosperous parts of the West, we've become so accustomed to having new things to grab our attention. All of these things have sort of started to replace the really kind of obvious need for electricians and mechanics. I think in recent years, a lot of that type of work has become kind of underpaid and under despite its indispensable nature. How would you say that has influenced, you kind of already mentioned this, how fields, maybe including those, are not flourishing as much because they're not receiving the same attention?
2: Yeah, and they don't receive the attention. If you are a person that has, I don't want to say all your eggs in one basket, but you have an only child, and you are going to project on them all your values, hopes, and dreams, and they come to you and say, wow, I'd really like to be a plumber, how are you going to feel as a parent? Are you going to be excited or are you going to be disappointed? Were you hoping for the philosopher? Were you hoping for the business magnate? What were you hoping for as a parent? And along that, I feel that we have moved away and changed our value system as to what we think is, uh, is honorable work. A lot of the trades and people that work with their hands or manufacture things, they seem to take a second-class status as a less-than or a a consolation prize, not an original. We we just don't value it. And I think that maybe because currently our Western lifestyle is too safe. When's the last time you had a life-threatening need for a plumber or a mechanic? or a fabricator. Most of the time, these are just, we have we have so many layers that we don't think of them essentially. We, we don't think of them as essential until we have a big disconnect. So I it sounds really juvenile, but I kind of get a kick out of when the power goes out and we have a storm, or there's a flooding problem and, and things back up, and I say, ha ha, this will be an opportunity for the rank and file to remember that we really do stand on a society and even like a city that has layers of uh, physical things that, that we maybe don't think about. And, and we become so dependent, we don't see them anymore and we don't value them anymore.
3: I really, I think it's interesting, the points that you bring up. And it's, it opens your eyes to the fact that there is so much work that goes into every little thing. My family, we have a cabin that we go up to, um, it does not have automatic plumbing. It does not have working plumbing. So even just to flush the toilet, you need to go outside to the well, and you need to collect three buckets of water. You need to lug them into the bathroom, and you got to pour them all down so that it flushes. You know, there's. it shows you that even though the world we live in right now is so automated and we have this instant gratification because most of the things we do we can do so easily, with just the click of our thumbs, or you know, the saying one word, you can have something right in your hands. Um, it's important to recognize how much work goes into even just little things like
2: flushing a toilet. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. There's, I think we get we get a layer of disconnect, and that's that's the only dangerous part to me is is that we have become disconnected, and that also changes our value. So someone who is a skilled, there, there's there's the trades and then there's going to be like the craftsman. We still value the opulent craftsman, someone who can carve from ivory or or paint in oil or or the goldsmith. We still value that, but we don't seem to value that our roads are level and they, they drain correctly. The The power lines seem to be able to stay up even in in any storm that you can throw at them and that we can, we can transport people any city we want to within a few hours and we can transport millions of people a year with a 99.99999% safety rating. It's really quite remarkable. You mentioned
1: like, you know, like, well, you know, we have plumbers and all that, but if I can afford, Whilst living my lifestyle to pay a plumber or to pay an electrician, then what am I missing out on by not personally going out and and engaging in this? Like, like, what benefits am I missing
2: by living in a more consumer-based society? That's a fantastic question, and it will get down to just opinion. I believe that the process of interacting and and scraping your knuckles against something changes it it adds a component of gratitude even for the things that you don't do i become if you have raised vegetables from scratch when you see them in the store they are a new type of precious to me and when i see a a perfect potato and i see a, a big bin of machine separated, completely clean rice, and I see this abundance, it, it changes how I view it. And you're right. I can't pin down what I'm talking about. I don't believe most of the people that take woodshop are going to be woodworkers on a professional level, but I still think you should take it. Somehow, and, and this is difficult to express, you cut through these layers of ether and you interact with the component tree on its most basic level, and it makes you have a state of comfort. This is going to sound really strange, but most people are willing to strap themselves into a machine they don't understand at all, trust it with their life, and let it take you so far out into, quote, quote, the wilderness, that you would die of thirst or heat exhaustion you are not going to be able to walk your way back. You can literally put yourself into real trouble. And they are completely comfortable doing that. They, they don't have any relationship with the equipment. So I imagine myself, and, and this starts to, I imagine myself as like a radio tower or, or uh, some type of a, a building. And you want it to not fall down. You want it to be not vulnerable. Engineers will come up and they'll attach onto this structure. They'll attach like guy wires, what I'm going to call buttressing. You've got this structure and you're attaching guy wires on it, and they each stretch out. And each time a person learns a skill and and has understanding of the world around them, they've added a guy wire. They've added a resiliency that they maybe won't even need. They might not even need it, but you've added it. You say, Well, what if? the supermarket has nothing for me. What if the power goes out? What if the road isn't smooth? What if the toilet doesn't flush? And you you kind of bring some peace, but you're not wrong. A person that has the means financially to hire everything done for them, if that person has the means to hire everything done for them, why would they want to do it themselves? That's a great question. So, if you if you'll indulge me for a second, Let's take that to the absurd. Let's go all the way as far as you can go. Now I have someone that will chew the food for me. Or better yet, maybe they prepare a solution that can be put into my arm as an IV. And rather than have to drive my sports car, I could hire someone to drive it for me. I could probably hire someone to kiss my wife and to hug my kids. I could hire that out. I don't need to do that. I've got so much uh, resources available to me. I could have a machine that dressed me, or or better than that, I I could project a an avatar going out and doing business. I could literally lay in bed all the time, and and let's take it up one more level. Maybe I could maybe I could get a bedpan or a machine that would would clean me up, so I, I wouldn't have to to move a muscle. I really enjoyed, and I got a kick out of Wally, the uh, the, the the future people that don't have a skeleton to stand on, and they. You know, they, they no longer have needs to interact with the physical world. And we laugh because it's fun. It's a cartoon character. But are there people like that that, uh, that become, that, that have lost, because they've gotten away from interacting with the physical world, they've lost their resiliency and they've lost their, uh, their self-reliance is gone. That may be the only reason in, a, in an affluent society to still lean in to the trades, it seems like those people have a—they
0: do have a sense of security, but it's not founded within themselves. They don't have
1: the resili- resiliency. They are simply—you can throw on at the wild beast, but it's—it's it's definitely not going to think twice about it. Right, exactly.
0: A quote that this reminded me of. To anyone who has listened to the last episode, you'll know that I'm reading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and I'm quite enjoying it. And there is a quote that is right at the beginning of the book, and it says that. The study of the art of motorcycle maintenance is really a miniature study of the art of rationality itself. Working on a motorcycle, working well, caring, is to become part of a process, to achieve an inner peace of mind. The motorcycle is primarily a mental phenomenon. And specifically what I find in that that relates to this topic is that peace of mind. That that peace of mind functions both in a way of achieving understanding, but also in knowing that, say, if your motorcycle does break down, then you have the peace of mind of knowing that you
2: know how to fix it. There were uh, in the book. It's been it's been 25 years since I've read the book, but as I remember, there are two groups. He's traveling with two groups. He's traveling with a group of people that does not do their own maintenance. Uh, has a an expensive purchased motorcycle that they believe is outside of their capabilities to fix on, and then he's driving a more Simple, more affordable motorcycle that, for budget reasons, it's a hundred percent his responsibility to fix. On as I recall, yeah, this idea that we that a motorcycle is an emotional thing. Can you say the very end of that line again? It says, "Working on a
0: motorcycle, working well, caring is to become part of a process to achieve an inner peace of mind. The
2: motorcycle is primarily a mental phenomenon. Mental phenomenon. I own a couple of motorcycles, and they. Uh, are not, they're not practical. They are not, they're not less expensive as a transportation method. They are not safer. Drastically not safer. They are drastically not safer. They, they're not warmer. They're not cooler. They are less comfortable. They're loud. They vibrate more than, and yet I sometimes use them for like an emotional release. We call it wind therapy. You need to go and, and scare yourself a little bit. You need to do something that is dangerous. There's different ideas of what it means to be dangerous, but back to your, your point of why would you want to interact with the physical world? Because it, it satisfies something. It, you need to experience it. It is very difficult to, to describe. It's like the, uh, the cycle card thing.
1: Like a bunch of guys, they get together and they go out and they build machines that don't really work for no reason, other than they are really kind of fun and you know it's 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 like something to do. Like they go out and they're like they ride it and it breaks and like okay, I'm going to go and and put that back together. I've built this silly little car with bicycle wheels and I'm going to just to to occupy space. It's it is wind therapy in the sense of I'm going to construct a little thing and then strap myself into it and hope and it's also you know like shop classes soul craft like I'm I'm going to just go interact with my physical world and and create with my hands and and build something
2: even the people i know that uh that crochet or knit or tie-dye clothes those in our society due to mechanization they are they're indefensible on economic grounds you can't say you're saving money by weaving your own clothes. You, you're just not, not now. But the people that do it, they say it it pleases me. It it gives me a a centering and a a peacefulness. Uh, do you guys have any hobbies that you engage in that that don't make economic sense? I'm a musician. Instruments are expensive. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. How about you, winner? What are you? Oh, um, I do a lot. I actually spent like the entire uh snow days just embroidering and sewing. I do a lot of sewing but yeah,
2: yeah sewing and embroider and and to ask someone who does it, most people are not under they're not actually fooling anybody, including themselves. I don't do embroidery or sewing because it's it's gonna save money. It's because it's this outlet for for creativity one it's like an art but also there is a sense of satisfaction that is difficult to describe i can imagine there are a lot of days when when i do not get to see the fruit of my labor i only plant seeds i don't do any harvesting Mm -hmm. for long periods of time and that is very very difficult uh because you're constantly measuring yourself, whether you contributed to the world, whether what you did was, was relevant and whether it was meaningful. And and you, want, and you want the accolades. As a man, I do want the world's accolades that I've done something successful. In, in some ways, I'm the most envious of builders because there was a dirt lot. And when you when I leave, there's a finished structure that people may enjoy for the entire lifespan. Some buildings will will literally outlast the people. You know, a lot of buildings don't have a lifespan. You, know, you might put a, a 7-Eleven on a corner, and and 15 years later, the place has changed and it's going to get torn down for something else. But you see, like I look at the the people that were involved in building uh, churches in Europe that that outlasted them by a bunch and and it was for them both an expression of an expression of art for them an expression of their work and an expression of worship to order these physical things into a building or a park or or whatever else people have built it's important
0: yeah. this idea of crafts as art is super fascinating to me every thing that we have, like even even cars, somebody first made an art out of constructing that kind of moving vehicle. There is so much that goes into it. there's understanding every part of it and how it works, and then there's using that to create something and even using it to create something of aesthetic appeal. I think there are so many things that building a chair is kind of, can can be an art it can be an activity that
2: feeds the soul. I completely agree. You'll see, you'll see when people make a uh, a Windsor chair, a chair that has a lot of moving pieces is drastically more complicated than it needs to be just to hold a person up. But you do it as a way as a way to express yourself completely. I've heard many people, even women, have described Italian cars as sexy, and and the lines uh, as as expensive. Extensions and and the curves and the colors. You know, you don't you don't make Ferraris in cornflake brown. They just <laughs> don't. They just don't do that. It's it's a different it's a different idea of of what need it was meant to fill.
3: I you know I've I've been thinking as I'm sitting here. I think that the connection that we have to these little things that seemingly like don't matter in the in the grand scope of things. Like like you said sewing or embroidery, nowadays, it's not going to save you any money. But I think that the connection to it is that it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like, oh, I can do this little thing or, oh, I can ride this motorcycle and, oh, I can feel the wind through my hair. And it's like what we were talking about earlier of like, what is the point of doing those things if you have no need to? It's to feel alive, to feel like you're there, to live the experience, and to really live it.
0: And not only does it make us feel alive, it also increases our understanding. To take it back to the very beginning, what you were saying about how all of these fields are interconnected. There's so much interdisciplinary knowledge that can be had that we don't even realize. Like Again, I'm a musician, so one that pops out often is like music and the science of acoustics and various concepts like that. All of it works together and as we come to understand one thing say crocheting it improves the way we think it improves our our critical thinking i mean at Paradigm we're a liberal arts school that's kind of a cornerstone of how we view our education is as an interdisciplinary study and i think that it's not only the abstract thinking um, like reading Kant or um, studying a fine art like the visual arts it's also stuff like you teach like shop class that gives that comprehensive understanding of the world around us. And like Winter said, makes us feel alive. What does it mean
2: to be a person? What does it mean to be a complete person? Now, I, I have met people that seemed the, they were the reciprocal of, there's people that don't want to mess with physical things. And there's people that don't want to be educated in, in ideas and philosophy. And I see it's, it's sad on both sides. This is why a book like, uh, Robert Persick's motorcycle maintenance book, I think, like struck a chord in so many people, this idea that we're going to try and and tie things together. We're going to look for this. What does it mean for something to have quality? What does it mean when something is beautiful? Because I've seen I've seen beauty in the way an excavator digs a trench. And really I it was like it was beautiful. It was it was beautiful. Raceful, and it was I was proud, and I didn't get involved in it. I was proud as a species. I think about the space program, and it is awfully difficult to justify the space exploration program on the things that it has produced, but it's much easier when we say, I have hope of what it might do for us. We have an itch that we just have to scratch at this to, to explore and to change. And we explore all the sciences we explore. And, and when, when I, when I see people exploring one of my heroes, and, and he's very controversial, of course, is Elon Musk. The idea that it's almost like he got to be a gazillionaire on accident. He put the exploration first. He put the principle of, I want this, this certain type of electric car. I want this Infrastructure. I want to encourage change in how we think, and it just happened to have generated a huge profit. Versus something like a movie sequel, which may not have anything going for it except that it will generate a profit. You know, uh, I don't know if you've. I don't know what it would be like to be involved in a project where you kind of hung your head in shame. You were, you know, I was, I was involved in you know I, I was involved in in some kind of movie like twenty seven you know I, I was in the the seventeenth slasher movie boy wasn't that a good one? not really it made money but but I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of what we built I'm not proud of where where I think people that you know, people can get involved in in building in extreme things that that they can be proud of that can express themselves
3: quick recap what were you saying? The space exploration, um, pride in your
1: species. Doing things not just for monetary value. But yes. Value. Yeah,
2: did. the idea that something could. We've got this idea that you're not going to. We don't want to green light a project that doesn't make money in our Western capitalist idea. Mm-hmm. Where it almost takes the eccentric billionaire to push on a front that may not obviously get make money. But we're still going to push because we want to because we feel a. a And I was always smitten with Star Trek because of its moral narrative that went along with it. It wasn't just like, "Hey, I'm fighting these guys and we got lots of blasters." And it's like it was this group of people saying, "We think we can live at our at our highest level. We all have plenty of food and we all have all the shelter we need. And so why are we doing it now?" And, and the idea that we want to, to boldly go to, to explore, to change and to try and be your best self. I, it just it, it struck a chord with me and as, as it obviously did, I think with a lot of people. you'll see, you'll see people with a little piece of the Starfleet uniform or they'll, they'll have the sticker on their car because they they want to be part of something that's pushing. For for these ideals and a lot of the Star Trek world is technobabble. We invented this whatever ray or this super field or, or whatever, but it's it's deeply it's deeply human too. So within the physical things, we have people that race airplanes and they race dirt bikes and they they race automobiles and that makes that makes no sense at all. There's no there's no rational reason for you to go out and put yourself in danger like that and. And just destroy equipment, but because they do that, a lot of the things that they learn trickle down and improve our everyday products. uh They somebody pushing it, we end up with miracle fibers and ultra strong glass, and we end up with incredible polymers. And we benefit when any when anybody wants to push the physical world, the material sciences, and you
0: know. yeah, not not all human desires can be met just by the what profit generates the desire for money. There has to be an inner drive. So many things like motorcycle maintenance. From that the perspective of those two groups that you named earlier, the group that simply buys an, an expensive motorcycle that is supposed to hold up and chooses not to. Yeah, for them, it's romantic.
2: Right. The idea of a motorcycle, not not the machine itself. They're not interested in peeling away some of those layers to get to, right. to the base.
0: And to them, it might seem like it's it's a waste of time to um, engage in understanding motorcycle maintenance if they just already have the money to be able to get good motorcycle. Engaging in the art of motorcycle maintenance might seem like a lot of hassle at first, but ultimately, it lends understanding. It lends a certain element of of serenity and um, peace of mind that just money does not. And that's, we get that by pushing the letter, like you said, by choosing to do something not just because it makes sense.
1: And I, I really like the idea of everyone benefits when someone pushes it in the physical world. And it just makes me think about how none of the virtual world would be possible without first engaging in further development in the physical world the power of the virtual world you have to first invent a power system in the physical world and run power lines in the physical world and all of that has to happen before you can even begin to start like writing the first computer program you have to build a computer i just i like that idea that uh, that that should that should come first because it literally has to
0: and it's interesting to me that in order to build a system that facilitates the use of computers, we had to change our entire way of thinking as a race, our entire way of reasoning, because this new thing became available to us. that changed forever how we think. And so when somebody goes beyond the system of thought, of rationality that exists, it might seem absolutely ludicrous at first that somebody is choosing to step outside of the bounds of what is considered to be possible or rational or reasonable. But once that boundary is stepped outside of, then entire other systems can make themselves apparent. At the very beginning of this episode, you said that everything is composed of all of these systems that are interrelated. And when somebody steps outside of the safe, like the little safety zone systems that we've come to understand, when somebody steps outside of that, then all of these other systems that comprise the world we live in become clear. We become, we, we change as humans.
2: Our perception of the world around us changes fundamentally. Each time we, we see something new or changed, it's I, there's a quote I'm going to get wrong, but once you've expanded a mind, it, it doesn't, you know, you know the quote I'm talking yeah. a mind once expanded can never contract back. Once you've seen something new, you can't forget that. And if we were to, um, I use the example of magic. When you see a magician do a trick, some people just clap and enjoy the trick, but other people will obsess until they find a way they can reproduce and understand it so first we have to experience a phenomenon we don't understand to know that it's even possible so some things literally become self-evident they are the evidence for themselves when you say is it possible that elements can be formed into gold well yes there it is you now want to say okay well now that i know it can be done I want to work hard to understand the mechanism by which it happened. If you say, hey, a planet is formed, a moon is formed, a a star ignites, all of those things become the evidence to show that it can be done. And, And maybe we can't do it yet, but I do understand. And because of that, we think bigger than we've ever been able to think as a species. We, with a straight face, can now talk about interstellar travel and quantum time travel we, we can with a straight face we can say it's not beyond it's not so crazy that we won't sit down and try to apply some effort to it that is to me the eventual uh, conclusion of of interacting with your physical world that this every time something new is changed and improved this new world of possibilities opens and it's super exciting I understand the people at uh, like the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories have been working to try and crack the fission problem for some forty years, you know, day and night, all the time. You're always working on it. If the species said we don't even think it's ever possible to even conceive of the idea, you just shut it down right then. S- flying into space was so far removed from what people thought was possible that no one spent any time working on it somebody's got to come along as a a dreamer and or a you know a, a visionary of just wanting something and then the engineers of the world break it down into thousands of little solvable problems that stack up to this new thing that's amazing and now we're splicing your genes or we're using a MRI machine to study your brain Whatever. or just that we Everything is built and we do stand on the shoulders of the people that were ahead of us. We have big ideas that we think are our own, but we we can trace them. Everything has a lineage, almost like a family tree. Machines have a lineage in a family tree and software has a lineage. We, we go back, you can see where things come from. And the other reason why you have to interact and just give it a try is we have never really found a way to skip iteration. We haven't found a way to jump right to the thing we wanted. You can't have a new modern electric car without all the many failures and changes along the way. And a person now says, well, well clearly that was the better way to go. We should have just started with that. that We've been using PVC pipe from the beginning, honestly. Yeah, we, we, yeah, should, we should have just, play. why did we... Why did we, we should have just gone straight to vaccines and we should have gone straight to, to mechanized farming. Why did we ever waste our time doing it that other way? Well, we were really kidding ourselves with the
1: plague doctors. Should have just had regular doctors. You had a
2: bunch of monks copying the Bible by hand. What a waste of time. Should have just had a computer. Should have gone straight to the laser printer. I- exactly. This is the, you cannot cheat the system. You have to do all the steps. We sometimes don't honor. Process. You have to go through the process, and and sometimes that means I I know someone that manufactures a product that's pretty good, and they have a whole room full of revisions that are not as good. The product that you see that appears a very simple idea is actually rev rev L rev R. It's been changed over and over and over, little tiny subtle improvements. That's the way that's the way we do things. If we can't reinvent the wheel then we need to make little changes to make it our we need to expose ourselves to
0: it. Thank you so much for being on
1: here. We're gonna to move to
3: So when we invite people to speak on the show, we ask them to provide a challenge for the listeners or and um, what you took from this conversation we had.
2: I would challenge your listener to find a subject in the physical world that interests you and to increase your understanding and improve your relationship. You're constantly surrounded by things that you depend on. I challenge you to take a minute and see if you can increase your understanding. And, and I'm going to give you a couple challenge questions, if possible. When you turn the lights on, where did the power come from? When you flush the toilet, where did it go? Just I'd like to have the listener ask themselves questions. Is there more to it than just the surface interaction that you have? Awesome. Cool. Okay. That should about do it here for
1: this episode. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, Mike. Thank you, uh, thank you for inviting us. Right on. And uh, remember to keep engaging in the great conversation of ideas.
0: Thank you for listening to The Paradigm Project. Please rate us five stars on iTunes. It helps us share the great conversation of ideas with more people. If you want to get in contact with us, you can either shoot us an email at podcast at paradigm or you can DM us on Instagram at the paradigm pod. Thank you.